Hey there. Welcome to the Victory Cigar Podcast. My name is Connor and I am the host of this show. You are listening to episode number five. You can expect a variety of discussions about sports here. The MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and NASCAR racing will be the focus of the show, but I will talk about just about anything that grabs my attention in the world of sports. Well, it's been a minute, hasn't it? I haven't had an episode in months. You know, just been busy out there with some other projects and other things, but we're here to talk about a few interesting things. This episode might be a little bit shorter than some of the other ones have been that we've produced already. But uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the MLB season. I mean, honestly, we uh, we haven't had an episode since early on in the season, so we're just about at the end of it now. I believe there's just uh, under two weeks of games left. And boy, did the MLB season not turn out the way that uh, some some may have thought earlier on, or perhaps how I thought in that episode uh, earlier this season. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess first thing to discuss really is the playoff picture um, and the standings and how everything all shook out. So Currently in the AL East, the Baltimore Orioles sit at 95 and 57 as of September 21st, 2023. Tampa Bay sits at 93 and 60. Both of those teams are locked in to a playoff spot. Just where uh, is not completely determined yet, as uh, Tampa Bay is two games back of Baltimore. Uh, sorry, two and a half games back of Baltimore in the AL East. And uh, they, but they do possess a wild card spot that they will not lose. Toronto is in third place in the AL East at eighty-five and sixty-seven. They are one game back of a wild card spot. I do believe at the current moment, yes, they're one game back. Uh, currently, the division uh, is the only thing left to sort out in the AL East. There. Uh, is is only between those two teams as uh, Toronto will not be coming up with the division victory uh, unless they won every single game the rest of the way and uh, the Orioles and uh, Rays lost every single game the rest of the way. Um, so Toronto is going to have to try to sneak into a wild card spot. The Yankees and the Boston Red Sox are fighting for fourth place in the AL East, which of course as a Yankees fan, I was I'm not thrilled about that. The Yankees had a very bumpy season, uh, to say the least. They underperformed most certainly as they were looked at as them and Tampa Bay would be the ones fighting out the AL East uh lead, maybe Toronto in the mix there, but Baltimore far exceeded expectations. I mean they were on the rise. They had a very nice second half of the season last year and they were certainly on the rise. Uh, but uh, I don't think anybody expected them to be a potential 100-game winner um, so soon, as they still can achieve that, I do believe. Let's see. Uh, their win-loss record is 95-57, and 57, so yeah, that means that there are... Yeah, they, they have enough time. They could still reach 100 wins. Uh, Tampa Bay... Um, excellent again this year, 93 and 60. Sorry to kind of rehash that, but just, you know, in, in the whole terms of the AL East, 
they started the season on fire, kind of came back down to earth. Offense kind of came back down to earth for Tampa Bay, but the pitching has still been excellent. The Yankees in Boston fighting for fourth spot in the East. Um, I think to say that Boston was expected to is right around their expected totals is fair and, and accurate. The Yankees, however, definitely were um, expected to be better than they are. They are currently a 500 ball club, and honestly, as a fan, if they finished the season 500 or better, that would be uh, that would be about the best that uh, that I can hope for for them. So. Uh, down there in the central, uh, Minnesota at 81 and 72 um, is leading the central. Of course, the AL Central has just been very weak for a minute now, uh, as Minnesota is is no exception here. Not a not a great team, uh, just a, a solid team leading there. But uh, they would be uh, right back there. They'd be they'd be damn near down there with the Yankees. Uh, in the AL, if they were in the AL East, they'd be fighting for fourth or fifth there. They would be, let's see, they would be in solid fourth place in the AL West. So definitely uh, a weak division in the Central. Cleveland uh, behind them, nine games under 500. That's uh, not a surprise to me, really, that you know Cleveland was a playoff team last year and won the Central, I believe, but they just did not impress me or I think anybody else that watches baseball you know, a team slapping singles around and basically gutting out games 5-4, 3-2 is not a recipe for long-term success as uh, they've got a lot of questions to answer and things to deal with in the offseason. Detroit, 71-81. and I I think people expected them to take a little bit more of a leap uh, with some of the young talent that they have in Detroit. But they... And honestly, maybe seventy-one and eighty-one is a is a at this point of the season is uh, better than what was expected, but uh, just not really anything notable to discuss there. Miguel Cabrera, of course, retiring after this season, um, and uh, you know, I, I I don't mean to sound like a hater, but uh, Miguel Cabrera has not been a good baseball player for seven years, so that's uh, pretty long overdue. He was riding that out. Uh, on that ridiculous contract they gave him at, I think, age 32 or 33. So, uh, but, you know, no, I'm not, again, not trying to be hateful to Miguel Cabrera or anything, but uh, he just, there's no other way to put it. He has not been a good baseball player for a very long time. But uh, hats off to him, and as he rides off in the sunset, you certainly would hope, just as a fan of baseball, it would have been nice for him to have been able to maintain his level of play, but it just didn't really work out that way. Uh, the Chicago, it, it, very similar to Albert Pujols, right? So, the Chicago White Sox, uh, atrocious. I mean, just a really bad baseball team. There's no other way to put that. 58-95 and 95 at this current uh, moment with not many games left to play this year. Um, they are not good at baseball this year. Um, of course, they there were high expectations following 2021. They were looked at as a soon-to-be powerhouse. Um, and as we see how weak the AL Central is, they were seen as the team that that was their division for the foreseeable future. And they have – there are some good players on that team, or there were. <laughs> There's been some people traded. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, for reasons that we don't know, called clubhouse culture, uh, 
who knows? The White Sox are a complete and total mess. I mean, they're only seven games better than Kansas City that is in full tank rebuild mode, uh, as they have been the last several years at uh, 51 and 102. Uh, down in the AL West, Houston currently leads the division uh, over Seattle and Texas, but by half a game each over those guys. The AL West is the spiciest battle in Major League Baseball for the division. Um, by far, as Houston is 85 and 68. So Houston, not the powerhouse that we have seen in recent years, certainly not the record that they had last year. Um, they have looked mortal this year, quite mortal at times. Um, starting pitching up and down, offense up and down, um, not a very consistent ball club this year. Still a good team, um, but I expect them to have problems come playoff time. Uh, they are currently not locked into a playoff spot. Only Baltimore and Tampa Bay are locked in. So there could be, you know, crazy events that happen depending on who wins and everything. Seattle and Texas could get in. And let's see. Seattle, uh, you know, Seattle or Texas could take the division and Toronto or Texas could take the wild card and Houston could be out of it. Uh, that is very possible and very a very real possibility. They have not clinched um, at all. They're four and six in their last ten games. Uh, Texas is six and four in the last ten, and uh, coming off of a a good series against Boston after a terrible series against Cleveland, getting swept. The Angels uh, disappointing once again. I mean, no other way to put that. Shohei Otani. Um, was having uh, one himself one heck of a year leading up to his uh, UCL injury last month. Um, Otani, you know, it was the, the, he continued to hit, but um, it was not for long before an oblique injury seems to have popped up that sidelined him and took him out of contention for the rest of the season, cleaned out his locker, had his Tommy John procedure done, uh, just the other day, I believe two days ago, and uh, his agent claims that he will be ready to DH by opening day next year and ready to pitch and hit once again in 2025. That is a whole separate discussion about his uh, his contract, so I'm not even going to go there. That is an off-season discussion that we'll have here on this podcast as we speculate after the playoffs. But uh, Mike Trout just battling injury once again. It's just a, a disgusting shame that really the last three seasons we have not seen a healthy trout. I mean, he's he's just been in and out of the lineup, and uh, it's it's awful uh, when a player of his caliber is just missing from the from the lineup. Uh, I will say too, just one more addendum to the the AL before we move on to the NL. Uh, as as a, I mean, you know, I'm a Yankees fan, so there's there's obviously going to be some bias around that, but. Um, you know, Aaron Judge looked just as good this year as he did last year, and it's just a real shame that he had that freak injury in Los Angeles, the deal with the outfield wall and the toe injury, uh, because he he has looked just as good as he has as he did last year during his historic sixty two run uh, sixty two home run season, and uh, it's it's just another example with Trout being hurt, losing Otani early. It just it's it it hurts as a fan of the game to not get to see 
those transcendent players, those really special players on the field. So, you know, I think Judge missed about 50 games this year, and and uh, so that that sucked to not have him out there and be able to watch him play and do his thing, and and to lose Otani for the last essentially two months of the season. I don't think, by the way, I mean, we'll we'll have to check back in on this take uh, later on after awards are announced, but I don't think that Otani's injury is going to cost him the MVP. Corey Seager has put up a hell of a campaign with the Texas Rangers. I mean, seriously, um, a special season from Corey Seager, but uh, I do not think it will be enough to topple Otani for the MVP simply because, I mean, there's two reasons there. Um, this could be a whole other discussion on another show too when we get closer to the awards being named. But uh, Shohei Otani just doing what he did at the level that he did for the time that he did this season, I think finishing up with 44 or 45 home runs on top of uh, um, very good pitching numbers. I mean, Corey Seager missed 40 or 50 games as well. So I think that is the the biggest difference. I mean, what Otani was doing was insane, but I think the real reason that Seager really has no chance to take it from him is from him also missing significant time. Had Seager not missed significant time and was batting the way he is now, somewhere between 330 and 340 plus with the, I think he's at 32, 33 home runs, somewhere in those in that range at the moment. Um, you know, had he not missed that time, and put up, you know, won the batting title with with 45 homers and and you know the OPS that he has is astronomical. It's over a thousand. I think it's close to 1100. I mean, you know, you could be talking about the possibility of him taking it away from Otani under these circumstances if if uh, he had also not missed that time. But I think with them both missing what's going to end up being a pretty equal amount of time. It just it has to go to Otani. Um, it, he his season was very very special, um, and uh, I just don't see any way that he's going to lose it uh, to anybody else. Uh, but to round out the AL, without getting too deep in the weeds, there uh, the Oakland A's forty six and one hundred and six at the time of this uh, recording, uh, with less than two weeks left in the season. Uh, that's not surprising. I mean, did did anybody expect the A's to win over 60 games this year? I, I sure don't think so. That was a 100-loss team the moment they stepped off the field last year. I mean, the Oakland A's, We could, I could go on and on about how pathetic that franchise is and how their fans deserve so much better um, and that they quite literally just take up a place on the schedule. They are free wins. When a team sees that team on the schedule, they see a W in the win column unless something goes catastrophically wrong. Um, so, you know, Oakland, very real possibility Oakland doesn't even make it to uh, 50 wins this year. They could very easily not make it to 50. At 46 and 106, uh, they, their last 10 games are 2 and 8. I mean, if they run that pace, because they have 10 games left, if they run that same pace, they finish uh, 48 and uh, 114, which is a very, very realistic possibility. They may not even crack 50 wins. Over in the NL, though, Atlanta has been an absolute powerhouse. They have clinched their division. Uh, the only teams in Major League Baseball to clinch their division are Atlanta and the Dodgers over in the NL West, over in the AL. Again, the their division races are still um, in play. 
although of course in the central Minnesota definitely has it. They will not blow this in the last uh, last ten days of the season. But Atlanta's been a powerhouse. Uh, they have ninety seven wins and fifty five losses. Uh, they will very easily be a one hundred win team unless something is super catastrophic. <laughs> Again, there they'll be a one hundred plus win team. They have been uh, their offense has been prolific. Um, it is very, very strong. Something that I would say as an, a casual observer, not following all things Atlanta Braves baseball, is that it does seem as though the pitching is not, it doesn't make them invincible. It does not make them immortal. Their offense has been incredible, but their pitching has not been, has not been on that same level at all. And I'm not saying it's bad. They don't have a bad pitching staff. It just doesn't feel quite as good as previous years in Atlanta. And it feels as though they certainly could have more wins if their pitchers, if they hadn't had some implosions from the pitching staff throughout the year. And uh, they, I mean, they're certainly um, the team to beat in the NL with the best record. Dodgers aren't really that far behind them, though. And ultimately, personal opinion, this is an opinion show. Um, I think the Dodgers are a better team. I think that uh, they're deeper. And in a series between those two, which of course it may come down to that in the playoffs, in a series between those two, I would favor the Dodgers. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, the Atlanta Braves have the MVP, Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, Mookie Betts made it interesting for a minute there, uh, but the last couple of weeks, Acuna has really pretty much put that award away in the NL. He will be the NL MVP. Mookie Betts will be the runner-up um, for LA, but I think LA is deeper. I think they have a better staff. I think they have a better bullpen, uh, but I do think Atlanta's offense is better, but you know, good pitching beats good hitting, right? So when you put them in a head-to-head sort of matchup in the playoffs and with how deep LA is, I just think that I would put my money on LA. Um, I think that in those close games, squeaking them out, uh, the pitchers make the difference. And, um, you know, Atlanta simply is not going to put up 15 runs a game against a team like that. So I think, uh, I think LA kind of has the upper hand there. Throughout the rest of the NL East though, Philadelphia, kind of right on track to finish right where they did last year. I think they were an 87, 88 win team last year. It's looking like that's probably where they're going to be as they're 83 and 69 at the current moment. They're going to finish second in the East. Miami at 79 and 74 had a better year than I think was anticipated of them. Um, But probably, I don't know, they're, they're... they're right there for a wild card, but so are a lot of guys. They're on the outside looking in at the moment, but uh, Philadelphia currently holds the top wild card spot, but they are not locked in yet. Arizona holds the second spot, and Chicago holds the third spot. The Cubs, that is, of course. But Miami and Cincinnati are very close. They're right there. Miami at half a game back. Cincinnati at a game back of Chicago for that third spot. So... The wild card race most certainly not done. Miami might be able to sneak in uh, to a spot and take uh, take it away, but uh, so could 
Uh, so could Cincinnati. Cincinnati's had a surprisingly uh, decent year. They were a little bit ahead of schedule, if you will, uh, if that's the right thing to say, a little bit ahead of schedule uh, for their rebuild. They've got some exciting young talent. It was all the talk about Ellie De La Cruz, of course, but um, you know McLean had a great year. They had several uh, rookies, without going into too much detail over there, they had several rookies play outstanding this year. Ellie De La Cruz, you know, a lot of excitement. I, you know, I, I, as many people that know me and talk to me, I, I called it, so to speak, as far as him being a good player. Um, and that was uh, spring training of last year when he got some uh, major league at bats. I said, this kid is, is, has got some serious potential. There is something here. And he flew up those prospect rankings um, all throughout last year coming into this year uh, subsequently. But, uh, Elliot La Cruz has definitely slowed down. Uh, he has, uh, it, it appears as though pitching staffs have found his weaknesses. Uh, that being said though, the, the tools, there's so much raw talent there that I firmly believe that a full off season and into spring training and everything, we'll see De La Cruz play uh, much better, uh, next season. But uh, Cincinnati a little ahead of schedule there. Chicago was surprising. Chicago was surprising. I mean, they made some quiet additions in the offseason, adding Cody Bellinger, um, who was finally discarded by the Dodgers after some... There's really no other way to put it. Cody Bellinger won the MVP in 2019. But he had been really mediocre to bad since about midway through that season. To be honest, if you go look at the numbers, he had a scorching, ridiculous first month of the 2019 season in April. He had a very good, excellent May. And he had a decent June and a decent July. And, you know, like he started to wane. That's the best way to put it. He started to wane about halfway through that year but he had done enough monster stuff early in the year to kind of lock that award up and take it home. You know, I'm not saying he was awful in uh, the back half of 2019, but he wasn't great. He was average um, down the back end of that season and was awful in 2020, though weirdly decent in the playoffs, as I recall, good in the playoffs. Awful in 2021, awful in 2022. I mean, just... Wasted at bats, empty. Like you're better off sending a suitcase up there to take some swings, uh, because he needed to pack his. Uh, L.A. was done with him, and uh, and rightfully so. However, um, you know, obviously there was going to be somebody that was going to take a shot with him as a former MVP and as a guy who showed flashes of greatness. I mean, 2017, he started off. Bellinger's a very streaky player. I mean, I could go on about Cody Bellinger for a minute, but, you know, long story short, anybody that's been watching baseball over the last five, six years, he's an extremely streaky player. And when he is hot, he is ridiculous. He is very difficult to get out when he is hot. And he's got good speed, plays a great outfield. Um, he could he can service you at first base if you need to, but he can play any of the outfield positions as well. Uh, great arm. So, of course, there was going to be somebody that was going to take a shot with him, and it was Chicago that did you know, to, to see what if they could unlock some of that again. And Bellinger's had a good season. Bellinger has been a good player for the, for Chicago. Um, I don't believe the power numbers, if I'm remembering just off the top of my head here, have been quite as good as they were before. But his uh, average OPS 
those things have been much better. And uh, Bellinger has really helped Chicago uh, produce a little bit ahead of schedule here as well. Um, bringing in Dansby Swanson definitely helped Chicago as well. And um, uh, they've just been a, a decent team. You know, they, they have never blown you away at any point this year, but they have been decent. And, um, you know, they're they're vying for a playoff spot now. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, so they're going to have to really turn it around here to hold on to that last spot. Pittsburgh, uh, Cincinnati follows Chicago there in the standings, but Pittsburgh is down there at 71-81. and 81. Pittsburgh started the season hot. You know, they were something like, I don't know, 22-8 and eight or something to start the year. I don't remember, first month of the season. Man, is Pittsburgh here? No, Pittsburgh sucks. Sorry. You know, they're a little bit better than they were expected to be. This year, I think, with the final record, they're currently 71 and 81. But uh, they, I mean, they've got a couple of decent uh, players there, but that's another franchise, much like Oakland, where their fans deserve so much better than what they are currently being being fed. St. Louis, uh, that was surprising. St. Louis is 67 and 86. Um, there's no other way to put it. St. Louis has been very bad this year. And I'm not sure that anybody had St. Louis pegged as a powerhouse this coming into this season, but certainly it was expected that St. Louis would be vying for the NL Central uh, crown and at the very least, you know, a wild card playoff spot. They uh, have been awful. 76, um, or sorry, 67 and 86. They wish they had 76 wins. 67 and 86 um, this year. Not good. Uh, there's really not much else to say there. I know that their their pitching has been atrocious, offense uh, stagnant. They've got uh, some questions to answer in the offseason. In the NL West, the Dodgers at 93-58. and 58. Once again, uh, as it's been for a decade or more, Dodgers powerhouse in the regular season. We'll see how they can do in the playoffs. Freddie Freeman has been excellent for them. Um, and uh, Mookie Betts. MVP candidate. Again, I think it'll go to Acuna, but he's right there in the number two spot for MVP. They've uh, gotten some great play out of uh, uh, out of their, their young players that they've slotted in, as they typically do. The Dodgers are really cooking there. Arizona. Arizona has been uh, better than expected this year. Arizona's on the upswing, and for the same reasons as uh, you know anybody else that gets good in any sport, young talent. I mean, Arizona, uh, Corbin Carroll, uh, he's, he's been a little bit up and down this year, but has played overall quite well. And um, Arizona, with uh, with their young talent that they have there, have produced. They have been winning games in the desert. Uh, a far cry from the last uh, God knows how long, right, of them just being a free win on the schedule, being an awful team. That is not the case anymore. That is a, that is a feisty team. It's a feisty ball club. Uh, they are uh, currently in a playoff position, but um, we'll see if they're able to hang on here as they're only a game and a half up uh, in their current spot at the moment as well. San Francisco at 76 to 76. That's about right. I mean, I, I think that uh, I think that is probably where people peg them about a 500 team. Uh, no real major improvements, although they tried. Uh, San Francisco fans thought for about 10 minutes that they had Aaron Judge in the off season. And then they thought they had Carlos Correa for about five days. Um, and neither of those guys ended up in San Francisco. Instead, they ended up with Mitch Hanniger. So San Francisco really, uh, not making massive improvements there and just kind of staying mediocre. Uh, Aaron judge, of course, went back to New York. Correa, 
was San Francisco actually is, were the ones that backed out of the deal on advisement. Of course, this was the biggest story of the offseason, uh, well, besides Judge. Uh, Correa, uh, San Francisco was advised after the physicals to not proceed with that contract. I think it was originally a 13-year a $350 million contract for Carlos Correa, which I'm on record. I, I have said for a very long time that I do not believe Carlos Correa to be worth anywhere near that much money. And it, it just blew my mind. Him searching for those deals, you know, he's, he searched for them last offseason before signing with Minnesota for last season. Um, he, he, you know, went looking for a long-term deal to pay, you know, what he was looking for, didn't find it. He took that short-term deal with Minnesota with the opt-outs, um, and opted out last off season. And he, and I just, I don't know what people see when they see Carlos Correa and think he is worth that money. I just don't, even at his very best, I just did not see him as a $350 million player. Um, and they signed him. Um, or they, they had agreed to sign him for that. They backed out of the deal due to the concerns over the plate in his ankle from that previous injury when he broke it uh, years ago, saying that, uh, that, you know, that was a cause enough for concern. Well, Scott Boris got on the phone and worked his magic with Steve Cohen and the New York Mets, and it looked like the Mets had him for 12 years, 320, something like that. And then... Shortly after, just a few days after that deal, a week after that deal, that one also fell through as the Mets rescinded the offer and did not sign him uh, for the same reason. Their team of doctors looked at Correa with uh, a full physical and looking through all of his medical records and said, ooh, yeah, no, don't do this, which is very interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of his career plays out because I think the concern was really that there was going to come a point where... Correa's leg would be in would just there's no other way to say it would be in bad shape and that uh, they were concerned about his ability to play shortstop or third base or second base on that leg later in his career and when you're signing a guy for 12 or 13 years that's a legitimate you know fair concern Correa of course ends up going back to the twins after they signed him for um oh goodness I don't want to be wrong so I will look this up I've been kind of ballparking some numbers here, but I don't want to be wrong about this. Uh, Gray, of course, has been awful this year, uh, quite bad. And uh, no, no other way to put that. He's been awful and not even close worth to the worth his pay this year. Uh, but he signed a six-year, $200 million contract. That's what it was So uh, with the Twins this year. So he had to finally settle for that. Uh, which, of course, he'll be 36, I believe, when that contract is up. But he was looking for that big 10, 12, 13-year payday. Had to settle for the six years, 200, um, which, of course, really isn't um, you know horrible for the Twins. And the, and the reason why I say that, you know, after saying that I didn't believe him to be worth you know the 350 million for like 12 years, um, because I guess that probably works out to a higher average that he's being paid on the six 200. I'm a big believer in um, my biggest issue with contracts is the length. I really don't care about the money as a, as a fan. I care about the length. And I worry for my teams that I root for in all sports. I worry that the owners become gun shy after they give out a big contract 
for a lot of money and then they don't get their value out of it. Whereas I think owners care far less and, and, and fans and everybody care far less. If Carlos Correa sucks for six years, $200 million, it'll go down as like, well, that was a crappy deal, but it doesn't go down as like, oh, that was the worst deal we've ever seen in our entire lives. You know, uh, whereas if Correa played the way he has this year and he does that for the next eight years of a 13-year contract before finally being released, that would go down as, you know, if if San Francisco or New York had gone forward with that and he played the way he does for, you know, the foreseeable future, that would go down as, my God, what an awful contract. So uh, Correa has not lived up to that. Um, San Francisco and New York Mets, if you ask me, dodged a bullet with the big deals there. I think the Twins got him for, um, I, I think that that was reasonable because they can they can eat the money and get out of it a little sooner. Less money, right? Less overall money. Anyway, back to the standings. San Diego, a massive disappointment at 75 and 78 after they spent an unbelievable amount of money in the offseason. Um, they've had excellent pitching out of Blake Snell, who will likely win the NL Cy Young. But... Uh, they have just underperformed a, a lineup with Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, um, and and other you know complimentary solid players uh, has just not won ball games, and uh, they sit in fourth place there, fighting for maybe third. Um, they could technically still make a wild card, but they'd need a they'd need a hard collapse. They'd need Chicago to go to continue to stumble the way that they have, and they would have to get hot. They are. Only four and a half games out of the wild card, but again, it would it would require them going on a hot streak and win, win, winning, and Chicago to lose, lose, lose. So, Colorado down there at fifty six and ninety six, not a surprise. Um, that's another embarrassment of a franchise that should be uh, forced to sell uh, them. Oakland and Pittsburgh, uh, pitifully run franchises. Not really much more to say there about Colorado. So that's how it shakes out for the standings and everything and, and the playoffs as uh, again, only Baltimore and Tampa Bay have clinched a spot in the AL, but uh, whether they win the division or take a wild card spot is not yet known for either of those teams. And over in the NL, only Atlanta and the Dodgers have clinched a spot and they clinched their divisions entirely. So uh, they are locked in and will be, uh, it'll only just come down to the seeding based off of their uh, overall record at the end of the year. So, you know, impre- or just a couple of notes to go over here with this season uh, in the MLB. We, you know, we kind of went over uh, some things. But uh, the Mets are obviously the biggest disappointment of the year. Um, I think by far, there's just no other way to sugarcoat it. Sorry, Mets fans out there. My dad's a Mets fan. There's, they're the biggest disappointment of the year, sitting at 71 and 81. Um and uh, not making the play- they're not going to make the playoffs. They're eight games back of a wild card. Is it mathematically possible? Yes. Is it going to happen? No. Um, but they severely underperformed uh, this year. Their their starting rotation relied on Max Scherzer and uh, Justin Verlander. And I said it at the beginning of the year. I believe you can go back on one of these previous podcast episodes, and you'll hear me say that relying, you know, betting your season on a 39-year-old and a 41-year-old is a bad idea. 
as they brought in Verlander to take up the spot that DeGrom left, signing with the Texas Rangers. And, of course, Max Scherzer traded to the Texas Rangers at the deadline. And and Verlander traded back to the Astros. So both of the Mets' stud pitchers heading to Texas at the trade deadline. And um, Scherzer did not pitch like Max Scherzer. He was not god-awful. Uh, or anything by any stretch, but he just did not pitch to the level they needed him to pitch at. Justin Verlander did not pitch to the level they needed him to pitch to uh, with the New York Mets, so they were dealt away. Verlander has actually continued to struggle a bit with the Astros. Scherzer is currently sidelined maybe for the rest of the year, definitely for the rest of the regular season. They say he might be able to pitch in the postseason, depending on how far the Rangers go, uh, as he suffered a shoulder injury just last week uh but Scherzer had uh, been pretty excellent for Texas uh, I believe he had one bad start and it may have been his last start uh for Texas he had a he had a bad start but he'd been pretty much excellent he'd been very uh very different looking than when he, that he was with the Mets uh at least in the way that uh you know he was handling his starts uh, Verlander not so great Verlander has looked mortal uh, with Houston. Uh, so that, I mean, that's, that's one, one of my notes about the season, you know, important takeaways. The Mets had the largest payroll in baseball by far, not even close to second place. And they were awful, but a silver lining for Mets fans was they did see some flashes of some good play out of some of their top prospects that they called up to play this year. Uh, Brett Beatty was kind of up and down this year, but I personally, just as a fan of baseball watching, uh, watching him and everything, I, I still have hope that he can be a good player. Uh, I, I, you know, give him an off season and a spring training and see what he can do for the Mets next year. Uh, Francisco Alvarez had a very up and down season. Um, he had, you know, he had some months where he looked very, very good. And he had some months this year where he looked very, very bad. Um, at at the plate, that is. He has been pretty good defensively, I do believe. Somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, but he's been pretty good defensively. Uh, but at the plate, it's kind of been up and down. But overall, I think the Mets will take that play at catcher, especially out of compared to the recent recent catchers that they have had. Uh, so, you know, if Alvarez, you know, listen, if Alvarez can be a 240 hitter that brings some power to the catcher spot in the lineup, if he can be 240 and hit 25 home runs, I think that uh, anybody and everybody would take that to go along with a good, good catcher play, you know, being, being a good defensive catcher, throwing out base runners and calling good games. I think anybody would take that, you know, all day, every day. He doesn't have to be Johnny bench. Um, so he, uh, he had an up and down season, but overall, you know, you, you got to say as a Mets fan that, uh, uh, he looked good. Uh, he looked good, uh, overall. And again, Beatty, give him some time. They called up Mauricio. Uh, it's not enough, big enough sample size to really say much about Mauricio, but because uh, he's only been up for about ten days, I think. But uh, you know, letting him get some major league at bats is good. Um, so, yeah, really, the the Mets, you know, having some uh, having some flashes of some good things from some young players is nice. Kodai Singa is definitely the Mets' biggest bright spot of the season. Not even close um, to uh, to anything else for them. As um, Kodai Singa has had an excellent season. I mean, he's honestly a top five pitcher. Uh, has pitched as a top five pitcher in the NL this year, and um, 
which was a bit of a surprise for me. Uh, coming into the season, I said that um, I believe what I said, you know, was that hinging uh, with the Mets, hinging those your season on those two starters, Scherzer and Verlander, that were forty, and an unknown in Sengo was a dangerous proposition. But Sengo was pretty pretty damn good this year, to be honest, um, and uh, was a was a top five. And if you disagree with that, definitely top ten pitcher in the NL. Uh, this year and and uh, you know was within sniffing distance you know of a Cy Young but you know not not going to quite reach that plateau yet but um, was very good so that was a bright spot for them um, most certainly and um, yeah there's some there's some uncertainty for the Mets as well I, I'm sorry I'm talking about the Mets here a lot but I wanted to make a point of them and a couple other teams uh, that I'll get to in just a second, just because they were notable to discuss as the most disappointing team. The the Mets have a decision to make about Pete Alonso. Um, and he is a very weird player. I, I could go on about Pete for quite a while. He's a very weird player. He brings a lot of power to the table. He's got 45 home runs this year. He is a perennial 35-plus home run threat. I mean, it, it's just every year he's going to give you 35 or more. Um, and you know, his career 53 in 2019, uh, 16 in 2020, that was of course a shortened season though. So a good clip there. I mean, that's a home run every three games just about that he played. Um, and 37 in 2021 and, uh, 40 in 2022 and 45 so far this year, probably going to say that Pete's going to hit another couple out before the season's over. I'm not sure he'll reach 50. But uh, it'll be a high 40s season for Pete. So he is, you know, he's got that natural power to where when he connects with the ball, it 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 goes a long way. Uh, or at least I should say when he when he gets the launch on the ball, it goes a long way. That's what makes him a weird player. His stats this year are 222 um, as uh, as batting average, but with the 45 home runs, 18 doubles. Uh, 138 strikeouts is OPS at 843. Um, let's see what the uh, OPS plus is for him. I- I'm curious to see how above average that is. Uh, 128. So, uh, of course, if you don't understand how OPS plus works, it's uh, so OPS is on base plus slugging percentage. So, of course, that takes into consideration um, hits, walks, and slugging percentage. And uh, OPS Plus is the number that is relative to average in Major League Baseball. So, of course, average in Major League Baseball is 100. And that's for OPS Plus. 100 is the average. And it's, of course, adjusted by year based on the total, you know, overall um, average OPS. So... Uh, Pete Alonso being at 128, that's a good OPS plus. It's it's uh, it's most certainly um, well above league average, and but his issue seems to be uh, the launch. I mean, uh, he strikes out a good bit too. It's not the worst strikeout rate out there, uh, but it's it's not fantastic. So he does strike out a good bit. But he does also seem to uh, get underneath the ball a lot. A lot of pop flies, a lot of infield pop-ups, a lot of essentially non-productive 
ouch, come out of Alonso. But he does hit for power when he gets that angle right. You know, he gets the ball out of the ballpark. It's natural. So uh, they have a decision to make about him. They, they're they going to have to figure out whether to pay him or trade him uh, because I believe this is his, he will be in arbitration this year, but that's the last year of it. I believe he hits unrestricted free agency next year uh, at the end of next year, and they're going to have to decide whether to pay or trade him. And um, uh, I think I just personally think it's a difficult decision it's difficult to figure out what he's worth um, because uh, he he's a hot and cold player too. He's one of these guys that can have a really good month and he's batting 290 for the month. The next month, bat goes cold. He's batting 160 for the month. You know, 164 home runs that month. Previous month was 290 with 11 homers. And he does that. That's just who he is. He's a, he's hot and cold. He's kind of like J.R. Smith uh, of, uh, of baseball. And... Um, you know, so he's a he's a weird player to figure out uh, how to pay, and what to pay, and what to do with. So, uh, but I I do I would be quite surprised to see him be traded, to be honest. Um, somebody else to talk about, of course. I I have to talk about my Yankees too. Um, in them being a disappointment, uh, I didn't think, and I don't think anybody else thought that this was a World Series caliber team coming into the year. I mean. They were still employing Josh Donaldson at third base. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was still a starter for this team, starting in center field to start the year. Um, they just they had so many holes all over the field, and and I think anybody that that thought, well, no, the Yankees were supposed to be good. No, I mean, good fighting for the division, like I said earlier. Yes, uh, and a, a truly elite team capable of winning the World Series. No, uh, I would have never said that, and I don't think that anybody with a brain would would have said that. Um, there's just way too many holes on the team. They came into the, the season. They ca- they left last season needing a left fielder. They came into the season without a left fielder. I mean, that should tell you all you need to know about how the front office has been doing a stellar job. Uh, sarcasm, in case you didn't get it. Um, you know, again, Judge was excellent when he was out there. He had that toe injury. That was a real unfortunate uh, shame. Just a fluke freak sort of injury for him. Uh, with that uh, Dodgers outfield wall there. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton has been awful. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Just a flat-out bad baseball player this year. Not good. Um, they just didn't get the production they were looking for out of other guys like DJ LeMayhew. Glaber Torres was great this year. Uh, he was great. That was a bright spot for New York. Garrett Cole is going to win the Cy Young in the American League. Another bright spot. Carlos Rodon, pretty disappointing so far. Um, you know... Not uh, not playing like the back of his baseball card, at least the last couple of years um, from the back of his baseball card. Uh, but I do I do think, you know, give him an offseason, get him fully healed up and, and everything. He was battling that injury. Um, give him a year uh, or give him an offseason of work. Uh, I, I haven't given up on him by any stretch. Luis Severino has been awful and will likely no longer be pitching for the New York Yankees following this season. Uh, the Yankees uh, have things they need to do. They've got to go get more starters. Bullpen was pretty good this year. Bullpen was pretty excellent, actually. I think it was a top five bullpen in baseball. If it wasn't five, it was definitely top ten. Uh, bullpen was quite good, um, and the starters were that were not named Garrett Cole were very spotty. And uh, so they definitely need to go look at the starting pitching market, see who's out there, and make a move uh, there. 
but they definitely got a spark from calling up the kids. Uh, we've, we've seen some good things out of Pereira and Austin uh, Wells. Jason Dominguez was on fire for the 10 games that he got to play before uh, suffering a UCL injury and undergoing Tommy John surgery. I believe yesterday the procedure was done. He'll be back and able to hit um, likely in May next year, somewhere in there. Um, and he'll be fully cleared to continue to play the outfield uh, by uh, the back end of the season, probably probably post-All-Star break somewhere in August, September next year. Uh, but he should be back and hitting uh, by by about May. And uh, But he looked, I don't know, it was a small sample size, but he looked like everything that has been hyped and more. Uh, he looked excellent early. We'll see how he, uh, how he attacks his rehab and everything. Uh, but yeah, Yankees definitely a, a disappointment. Um, but uh, I did not expect them to really be a, a true World Series contender this year. And... As my, I think Aaron Boone needs to go. I think Aaron Boone needs to go. This this team needs a shakeup. However, I don't think he's going to go. I think they're going to keep him. Brian Cashman should absolutely be told to vacate the building, but he is going to stay too. So being a Yankee fan is pretty painful at the moment. I could go on and on about that, but we've got more to talk about here, so we're going to have to move on from that. Um. Outside that, Texas Rangers, uh, I'm going to do a victory lap and say I told you so. For all the people that uh, that that thought, ah, no, Rangers, now they, they signed those players. They're not going to do anything. They are on the precipice of they might reach 90 wins this year without Jacob deGrom for the vast majority of the season. Uh, they, they're, they're here. That's all I have to say. They are here. And so I'm going to take a victory lap on the Texas Rangers for everybody who doubted me on that. They're here, and uh, I told you. So uh, they will be even better next year. That is a guarantee. And uh, you might be able to freezing cold take me this time next year, but I just about guarantee that they will be better. Barring a string of freak injuries or something, uh, they will be better. They've got Evan Carter, which was their top prospect, called up now, and their draft pick from just two months ago. Wyatt Langford, literally drafted two months ago, is in AAA. He tore up uh, the low minor league ball, tore up Double A, and is and had a fantastic AAA debut the other day. Uh, so I fully expect him to be on the roster, standing in center field on opening day next year as well uh, for Texas, and uh, has looked excellent. So they're here. Josh Young, fantastic season, rookie season. Um, and uh, third base, Seager, an MVP-level season. Simeon, fantastic. Uh, pretty much looked like the Simeon of, of old from Toronto that they signed. And uh, Nate Lowe, a solid year. Sorry, Nathaniel. Jonah Heim, a very good year. Uh, they just their, their biggest weakness is their bullpen. Their bullpen is absolutely atrocious. It's very, very bad. Uh, they would quite literally have about 95 wins right now if it was not for their bullpen. If they had a competent bullpen, you could add at least 10 wins to that win column, and I'm not kidding. Uh, it's If you doubt me, look it up. Uh, they have been, their bullpen has been that bad. Uh, so that is their pitfall. Will they win the World Series this year? No, 
and that will be the reason. When they're eliminated from the playoffs, it will be because the bullpen has blown the game uh, or has blown the series. So that is uh, that is definitely their biggest issue going forward and what they're going to have to address in the offseason. But uh, outside that, um, you know, their future is quite bright, quite bright. I will say uh, some, some other final notes here. Seattle started the season off slow. Uh, but they looked like the Seattle of team of last year in the back end of the season, the second half. Um, they're here to contend as well, uh, for sure. Seattle looking real good. Um, and, um, yeah. So I think that that about does it for all my MLB talk. That's Those are my opinions. Those are my sort of takes on all this stuff. Uh, and uh, we'll, of course... Uh, try to get an episode out and everything and talk about things that go on in the playoffs. All right. The next thing that I wish to discuss is the NFL. Uh, the NFL, we, uh, we are going to recap here sort of uh, quickly, if you will. We're going to recap week one and week two of the NFL season now that those have uh, concluded. Week two is concluded. Uh, week one, the Lions stunned the Chiefs in the opener, 21-20 uh, in, in week one. However, uh, anybody that watched the game would know Kansas City would have won by about three touchdowns if uh, they did not have receivers dropping the ball, specifically Kadarius Toney. I mean, seriously, it was, a, it was an all-time poor performance for the wide receivers in that Chiefs game. Uh, and with no Travis Kelsey, that didn't help Kansas City either. But they fall 21-20 to the Lions. The Panthers drop to the Falcons 24-10. Falcons over the Panthers. The Ravens beat the Texans 25-9. The Browns beat the Bengals 24-3. Joe Burrow looking absolutely pathetic in that game. It was very surprising. The Jaguars beating the Colts 31-21. The Bucks topping the Vikings 20-17. Titans fall to the Saints 16-15. Uh, the 49ers beating the Steelers 30-7. That was just a beat down from the outset. Steelers looking real bad so far this year. The Commanders 20-16 sorry, over the Cardinals. Uh, Washington actually 2-0, weirdly. The Packers beating the hell out of the Bears, though, 38-20. Jordan Love looking pretty solid in that game. Justin Fields not so much. The Raiders beating the Broncos 17-16. The Dolphins beating the Chargers 36-34. That was a great game. Came right down to the wire. Eagles beating the Patriots 25-20. They looked strong early, but uh, faltered in the second half. Rams beating the Seahawks 30-13. The Cowboys, of course, blowing out my Giants 40-0. Uh, I walked out of the room uh, when the pick six happened in the first quarter and it, they, the Giants fell down, whatever that was going to be, 16 to, to nothing. I walked out of the room and did not watch the rest of the game because I knew how the rest of that was going to go. And the Jets beating the Bills 22-16 to 16 on Monday Night Football last week. However, of course, the big story being that Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles tendon. However, he had a different type of Achilles procedure done to his Achilles and hopes that he could possibly be back if the Jets were to be making the playoffs in January. Um, he said that is from his mouth. That's not speculation from uh, journalists, reporters, whoever, talking heads in the sports world. That was him saying, I, am, I might be back. We'll see. So um, that could be very interesting. So the Jets, I'm sure, are going to continue to try to you know, win every game that they can. 
to um, give them a shot to have Rodgers ready to go uh, by the time the playoffs roll around. Then over in week two, which we just wrapped up, the Eagles defeated the Vikings 34-28. That was a very good game. Um, or at least, a, I shouldn't say very good. It was a good game. The Vikings made it interesting. Towards the end, the Eagles were kind of in control most of the way. Falcons beating the Packers 25-24. Um, and the Bills defeating the Raiders 38-10. That was a big blowout. Ravens over the Bengals 27-24. That game was actually not as close as the final score indicated. The Ravens pretty much had control all day. Uh, the Bengals just kind of made it made it interesting with a late touchdown there, but uh, with no timeouts left and uh, and everything, the Ravens held on on that one. Burrow once again did not look good in that game. Uh, Burrow just hasn't looked good this season so far. We'll have to see how how that progresses as the season moves on. Um, the Seahawks defeated the Lions in a great game in overtime, thirty seven thirty one walk-off touchdown in that one by Seattle. Uh, The Colts over the Texans 31-20, although Anthony Richardson suffered a concussion for the Colts and his status for the next uh, game uh, in question, I would say doubtful. The Chiefs over the Jaguars just 17-9. Chiefs just not really able to get a lot going on offense there, but never really felt like they were in danger either. The Jaguars just sputtered throughout that game, not able to get anything going. Uh, the Bears falling to the Buccaneers 27-17. to Again, that was another game that just wasn't even as close. That was a 10-point differential, and it wasn't even close, really. Um, the Titans beating the Chargers 27-24. That was a great game. So the Chargers, two weeks in a row, lose close ones at the end. Chargers losing by two the previous week and three this week. The Giants completed the largest comeback in their franchise's history, at least since 1949 by defeating the Cardinals 31-28. I was watching that one. Root and go big blue. Uh, I was groaning as the updates came through of them going down 7-0, it was at one point. Late in the third quarter, the Giants stormed back, scoring three consecutive touchdowns on three consecutive drives and holding the Cardinals to no points in the fourth quarter. Then getting the ball back with about three minutes left, two minutes left, driving downfield and kicking the game-winning field goal. Great game by Daniel Jones and the Giants. Coming back big in that one, that was a hell of a game. 49ers beating the Rams 30-23, to but the game wasn't really that close. 49ers were in control all day. 30-10 to Cowboys over Jets. Again, nobody was going to give the Jets a shot there at all with Zach Wilson playing quarterback uh, for the Jets. The Broncos losing to the Commanders, 35-33 Commanders over Denver. That was a great game. Uh, the Broncos were up 21-3 to at one point in that game and end up falling 35, or I think 24-3, to 35-33 to Washington, who moved to 2-0. The Dolphins 24-17 over New England. That one also not really as close as the score would indicate. Um, the Saints defeated the Panthers on Monday Night Football. There was two games on Monday Night Football this past week. The Browns losing to the Steelers. Steelers uh, winning 26-22, but it was an ugly, ugly game. Uh, The Steelers have a lot of questions to answer on offense. So with that, um, the teams that are 2-0, the Eagles, Falcons, Ravens, 
Buccaneers, Cowboys, and Saints, Commanders, Dolphins, and 49ers. All of those teams are 2-0, haven't lost yet, heading into week three. Teams that are 1-1 include the Packers, Raiders, Bills, Lions, Seahawks, Colts, Chiefs, Jaguars, Titans, Giants, Rams, Jets, Steelers, and Browns. And the 0-2 teams that have a little bit of a hole to climb out of are the Panthers, Patriots, Broncos, uh, Cardinals, Bears, Chargers, Texans, and Bengals. So we'll, And the Vikings, I'm sorry. They, uh, they all have a hole to work out of. So, um, you know, not much to say uh, besides the notes that I, that I gave to these games. Uh, not much to say after the two weeks here. I'm sure we'll have more to talk about uh, after next week. But, um, yeah, besides the notes given there, that's how it's uh, all shaping up here in the NFL uh, to start off week one um, and week two, sorry. Um, some notable injuries. I think Devontae Adams suffered a concussion as well this past uh, week. Um, J.K. Dobbins tore his Achilles for the Ravens in week one. He'll be out all year. Uh, and, of course, Rodgers with the torn Achilles. Um, Nick Chubb with the Browns with a really gnarly, nasty-looking injury on Monday Night Football to his knee. Uh, he is done for the season. Uh, that could possibly be his career, too, to be honest with you. Uh, it depends on the severity, but he probably tore multiple ligaments and all sorts of things in that knee. I'm not sure that he'll ever have the ability to get back from that. Um, those are about all the ones I can think of at the moment for the notable serious injuries. They say Burrow is battling a calf injury, but uh, that doesn't explain how bad he's been playing regardless. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll talk more about this. I'm definitely going to try to be getting some more episodes out on a more regular basis, especially with more to talk about with the NFL season going on. So, and some more in-depth things there, but, uh, yeah, there you have it for the NFL so far. Um, you know, if I had to rate, uh, I could go down the line here and just rate quarterback play, I guess that'll be the, I'll do that to extend our NFL segment. Just a couple of minutes here. Rate quarterback play from just the past week. I'm not going to be rating the overall body of work um, because we'll try to we'll try to get episodes out every week to be able to do this every week instead of me trying to account for week one and two. So, um, you know, week uh, the Vikings and Eagles, um, Cousins. Let's see. Let's give Cousins a rating B, uh, B tier rating. Uh, let's give Hurts uh, a rating in that game. A. Played well. Uh, Jordan Love, I'll give him an A, meh, B plus for his game. Uh, Desmond Ritter, B. He hasn't really impressed me very much so far. Josh Allen played excellent. He gets an A plus uh, against the Raiders. Jimmy Garoppolo, C, if that. Um, Lamar gets uh, an A. He played well uh, for the Ravens. Burrow gets a C- uh, this week just because they looked a little more alive in the second half, but C-. Gino, Gino gets a B+. He made a really poor decision at one point in the game through a really bad interception, if I remember correctly, uh, but I'll give him a B- for fighting back, playing well. Goff, I'll give him a B or a B-. Uh, 
uh, because he also made a very poor decision that that was an interception, uh, but played well, played okay. Uh, Richardson, Richardson, weird. Uh, he they ended up winning the game. Minshew took over. It's really hard to give a rating there because he got hurt so early, but he did have two rushing touchdowns early on. Um, so I'll give both him and Minshew. I'll give I'll give Richardson the B, and I'll give Minshew a B plus for stepping in and finishing that game off and leading them to a victory. Um, the Texans, C.J. Stroud, C. I don't think Stroud is very good at all. That's just my early early impressions Chiefs Mahomes um B plus I'll give Mahomes a B plus um this week he he threw an interception going on a deep ball that was a 50-50 ball that they lost uh but he played well he played Mahomes-ish um Lawrence uh Lawrence going to have to give him going to have to give him C plus B minus somewhere in there uh, Justin Fields, F. Justin Fields is awful. There's no other way around it. That guy is bad at football. Uh, Chicago, just terrible. Uh, he's he's bad. Justin Fields is not good. I've been saying it for two years. I think people are finally starting to realize it. More people are starting to finally realize that that kid is not good at football. Baker Mayfield, I have to give him an A. I have to give him an A. Solid A. Uh, Baker actually was good last week and good this week. Um, I'm going to give him an A for this week's performance. Um, weirdly playing pretty good so far for Tampa Bay. Uh, Herbert, I'll give Herbert uh, B plus with the Chargers. He played well. They just they, they he played well. It just wasn't good enough. Uh, Tannehill, I'll give him a B. Uh, it it wasn't Ryan Tannehill's arm that won them that game. Uh, Daniel Jones gets an A. He did throw an interception against the Cardinals, but it was a tip pick uh, that was not his fault, straight up. Uh, I'm not just saying that as a homer for the for the Giants. It was a tip pick. It was not his fault. Um, it was a, uh, I believe it was pass, pass to a tight end, running back, I can't remember. Just popped in the, it just it, right in the tight end's chest or, or running back's chest and arms and everything. Good throw, nothing wrong with it. Popped it in the air and the Cardinals... You know, took it, uh, took it right out of the air. Not, not Danny Dimes' fault. Uh, Dobbs with the Cardinals, B minus. I, I don't really. He didn't play that well. He's not really that in, interesting. Uh, Purdy gets a lower rating than I would have given him last week. Uh, this week for the 49ers. I'll give him a B this week. He played well, uh, but was not, you know, lights out or anything. He was. Much better against uh, Pittsburgh, but uh, I'll give him a B. Solid job, uh, Stafford. B minus, yeah. Zach Wilson, F. Just what wasn't good. Maybe better than a D. I don't know. Give Wilson a D. Why not? Uh, Prescott and Dallas. I mean, everybody knows that I have extreme biases against Dallas. Uh, Prescott is getting a hot B minus. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give him a B minus for this past week. If I was to go into detail about that, so that anybody gets on, well, they won thirty to ten. Listen, he missed throws, poor throws. It's it's the usual Prescott show, missing stuff he shouldn't miss. 
making bad for even when there's stuff that's completions that hospital passed cd lamb that he's lucky lamb didn't break his neck on um you know it's just the usual prescott show something of note from that game actually to just go off course a little bit since i watched most of it was that dallas they they won 30 to 10 but that game could have been 48 to 10 and i'll tell you why they had a lot of free shots deep in the field there that became penalties or like a big run, a catch and run, whatever the thing was, bad punts, good punt returns, whatever, all this stuff, right? They got down like inside the 20, down to about that 15-yard line-ish area. And something of note is that as Tony Romo was slurping up Mike McCarthy's saliva right out of his mouth, it was it was weird. Uh, he kept calling him Coach McCarthy, Coach McCarthy. Like, what the, Tony, what the hell? Anyway, um, he, McCarthy's calling the plays. We all know that this year. That's a big thing. McCarthy calling plays. They got rid of Kellen Moore. He's going to call the plays. They're going to be better. Well, the thing of note, and part of why Prescott gets a B- minus is that it's been very clear in both this game and the very little of the Giants I watched that McCarthy is doing everything he can to not have Dak Prescott play like a quarterback, like somebody who's throwing the ball down the field into tight windows or, or, or going for big plays. He is having him play. It's everything that he is throwing, screen passes, out routes, curl routes, play action, you know, a slant. He is get, he is trying to get, the which they did this with Kellen Moore too. It's not that much different in that sense that the game plan is not to allow him to try to make decisions and make reads. It's Dak. The play here is to throw the ball to your tight end who's going to go on an eight-yard hook route. If that is not there, throw it to Tony Pollard who will be waiting off to your right or waiting off to your left. And will be wide open. He won't be covered because he's your check down. So that it's been very clear. It was very clear watching that game that that was exactly what the offensive game plan was for Dallas. And annoyingly, it works. It works, but it doesn't make Dak Prescott a good quarterback. And it you know it doesn't make Jimmy Garoppolo a good quarterback. That's what they did all those years with Garoppolo in, in San Francisco and stuff too. It doesn't it doesn't make any of these check down Charlies good quarterbacks. It makes them game managers. Alex Smith, right? And that's what Dak is. And uh, so that's why I give him a B minus. He didn't do anything atrocious to throw the game. He did get away with two interceptions, th- like things that should have been intercepted but were inexplicably dropped. Uh, he he had two of them that are non-arguable, hundred percent interceptions. Uh, they they should have been dropped or should have been caught, and they were dropped. Uh, that were very poor throws by him, and. Um, but the point I was getting to about the 15-yard line, they got down in that area around the 15, and their offense just completely and totally stalled in that area, which I thought was notable. It was it was one game, but it was notable that they got into that area and they had nothing. They kept running the same plays. You know, second down and eight, and they hand the ball off, and it goes nowhere. It gets a yard. Um, they try for a, an out route to a tight end, you know, first and 10 from the 15. It was like they didn't have anything for that area of the field. McCarthy didn't have anything for that area of the field to get into the end zone or to even really move up any yards at all. 
and they scored a touchdown um early on i think when they when it was 10 nothing or something 10 3 maybe they scored a touchdown after so it's third and 10 they've done nothing in that area of the field inside the 20 they've done nothing and they throw um they throw a flag that gives them an automatic first. I can't remember what it was. I remember what the second one was, I think. They get an automatic first on this flag, whatever it was. So they try again from a little closer. Three plays, nothing. Incomplete pass on the third down, but they rule it pass interference, which I swear to God, not being biased, it really, it just wasn't. It wasn't pass interference. That's a flag you can keep in your pocket. It wasn't a good, wasn't a good call. They get the ball at the one-yard line, and they finally punch it in. But it was, I forget how many plays. I think they had to run nine or ten plays from inside the 25, 20 to 25-yard line, somewhere in that range, that side of the field, that area of the field. And they didn't, they basically moved up zero yards on all of those plays. And they got the drive extended by fresh set of downs from penalty, fresh set of downs from penalty. You know, like it, it was weird, strange. And I know it was more than six. I just can't remember what happened. It was it was something like it was at least eight, nine, ten plays, something like that, that they got that, that where they moved nowhere. So and then the thing about it though was throughout the rest of that they finally did punch that in after they got it at the one. The rest of the game, they had a lot of opportunities down there, and they were not getting touchdowns. They had to keep kicking field goals. And one could say they didn't want to show their good plays in a blow-off, blowout game. That could be true. That, that could be true, and that could be fair. But it was just weird and, and a little bit concerning, if you're a Dallas fan, that they just had nothing to get them, you know, 8 yards, 10 yards, 12 yards, uh, get the you know get them inside the five. I guess is what I'm saying. They had nothing for that like middle of the road, that five to fifteen twenty yard line to get them a nice chunk. You know, cutting that in half and and really getting down to where they can get into some of the deep, you know, end zone goal line level level plays. Uh, they didn't have anything for that range, and that was that could, that was kind of concerning. Um, uh, a note there. Uh, Washington Sam Howell. I I'll give him a. B plus for that game. B plus. Russell Wilson. Gonna give Russ a B minus. He wasn't as bad as the week before. He was way better in the first half. And then something, I don't know, something in the second half. He just wasn't very good, wasn't very sharp. Threw a really pitiful, really poor interception. That's what's gonna drag his rating down this week. Tua was meh this week. I'm going to give him a B. I'm going to give him a B right in there. Mac Jones, meh. I'm going to give him a C. Not great. Not good. Uh, yeah, not even good. Forget great. Um, Full disclosure, I really didn't watch any of the Saints, Panthers, Browns, Steelers. Uh, so I don't really think it's right for me to give ratings because I, did, I didn't watch any of those. I watched bits and pieces at the very least and saw stat lines and scores from the other games that I commented on. But I, I can't really give appropriate ratings for those um, four quarterbacks from those two games because I didn't watch enough of them to really watch any of them to, to really give a rating. Um, Yeah, 
think that's about all I have to say. We'll check in next week on football. We're going to move on to NASCAR now. All right. Over here in NASCAR, what do I have to talk about? So I'm actually going to keep it pretty short for NASCAR uh, to round this out. But um, a couple things I wanted to touch on after the uh, you know completion of the regular season were through the first round of the playoffs into the round of 12 uh, now. And uh, with the first race this uh, of the round of 12 being Texas, I will be there on Sunday uh, in the crowd watching. So um, just a couple of things before even discussing all the playoff stuff. Um, after watching uh, most of the races all year is that the super speedway package just i'm gonna go package track by uh, type of track by type of track for the package and how the racing has been this year just to give that a brief rundown because again i could i i can and i will discuss it in much greater detail when the season is over but the super speedway package is okay it's okay that's my rating for it it's okay Actually, let's let's stick with the letters like we did for the football quarterbacks. Super Speedway package with this car is a B minus, B minus to B somewhere in there, um, for Daytona Talladega. It was better, weirdly, for Atlanta. For the you know, it's pl- it's the same plate package or whatever, so to speak, because that's a plate track now. But uh, it is a B minus to B. It's somewhere. It's a it's a middle of the pack package it's not great i in my dreams i see i want what i want out of super speedway racing is i want that like mid 2000s i want that i want that like 2000 to 2006 type of super speedway racing i want the cars to not have to be completely sucked up to the bumper i don't want them totally spread out like 1980 or whatever, but I want them able to get off of one another and stay in the draft and stay fast and be able to, you know, be able to run, you know, three quarter throttle or something behind somebody and throttle that sucker up and go for the pass. Go have the ability, have the engine strong enough, be able to get out of the of the the wake of the car in front of you and make a move, slingshot by them and bring the other cars with you. It just doesn't work like that right now. In that era, I felt like that that like 2000s, you know, maybe late 90s, 2000s. I mean, it was technically the same car. They did change packages. They had those uh, th- deals on the roof around 2000, 99, 2000. Um, but I, just as an observer without getting too super technical or anything about any of it, too sciencey or anything about it, was that, it it felt like those cars could lead a lot. Like when you had a strong car for the super speedway, you could lead a line by yourself, and you could you could lead that line, and and you could you know if you were stuck behind somebody, you could dart out. It felt like with that package and with the cars being off of each other's bumpers, not just glued together, too too wide and sometimes three wide glued together or whatever, 
that it felt like somebody when you had uh, a late restart with 10 laps to go, it felt like somebody in 10th place, in 15th place, they could win. Now it does not feel like that. If you're not top, if let's say, let's use the same scenario, 10 laps to go on a restart. I'd say if you're outside the top eight, you've got no shot. Not happening. Uh, it, it is not going to happen. You can dart out and try to make that third line all you want. It's not going to work. Not enough people are going to go with you. Your car's not strong enough. The arrow, it's not going to do it. Not going to happen. And I feel like then when they were spread out, you could get those runs, you could make those moves, you could take people with you. You know, you had that ability to do that. They don't, they can't do it now. And it's, it's, it's just, it's not great. It's not great. Um, it's not great, but it's also not car of tomorrow tandem uh, drafting. So that's why it's not an F uh, for the package. It's like a B minus. I don't love it. Um, it could be a lot better. It's not the worst. So um, the short track package is atrocious. The short track p- package is a straight D minus. F. It's an F. There's no other way. To, it's it's an F. The short track package is awful. It's terrible. It sucks. Not good. Uh, the short track package, there should not even be a discussion about dirty air at a short track. That's disgusting. It makes me sick. Um, it, it Terrible. Awful, awful, awful. That package is awful, awful, awful. Uh, and they have got to figure it out. They need tires to wear down. They need the cars to be harder to drive. They need braking to matter. Shifting needs to be eliminated somehow at those tracks. Uh, there, there's a whole host of things that, that need to happen. But short tracks suck. Short tracks suck right now with this car. And that it, it, they're very aware of it. And uh, I really, really, really hope that next year we see some better short track racing because it's just... If we could just get the short track package right, I could live with the crappy package at the road course and the mediocre package at the at the super speedways with the intermediate package being so good. If we had like if the short track package was as good as the intermediate package, we'd be that'd be great. And we could kind of work on the other stuff in the meantime. So if they can figure that out and leave it alone, that'd be great. Because uh, short track package is terrible, and arguably short track should be our best. That should be the most looked forward to races on the schedule. Should be when we go to Bristol, when we go to Martinsville, when we go to uh, North Wilkesboro now again, and everything. When we go to Richmond, they, uh, you know, some of some of it, you know, can be argued. Uh, there's there can be pieces that, that can be argued that the tracks need some work or something, but it's the car, man. It's the car, um, and they've got to fix it. Um. The road course package sucks too. It sucks too. Um, one thing I think the car is too easy to drive. That that you know I know I'm saying that from from the comfort of my chair here and not being in the car, but the car is too easy to drive. It is you know road course ringers, the exception of SVG this year at Chicago because there was a whole lot of other factors that went into that. Uh, road course ringers have been essentially neutralized for the most part. Um, or the advantage that they had has been has been weighed way down because the car is too easy to drive. Um, you get 
I I personally thought that the the stage breaks I liked them taking the stage breaks away at the road courses, but then once we got a taste of what that was like uh, without them, as a result of the package being, uh, as a result of the package being not good and the car being too easy to drive, uh, it was follow the leader and nobody could catch anybody and dirty air was a problem at road courses. And which is like, come on, man, because it's it should be all about uh, who can wheel it at a road course. That should be the difference. That should be, um, you know, the car being difficult to drive and somebody who knows how to, you know, knows how to handle it should be the, the winning factor. And it simply wasn't and hasn't been. Uh, so we'll see the Charlotte Roval, which I hope that they completely get rid of next year. I hope that, that becomes the mile and a half once again, because the racing at Charlotte has been awesome. Uh, this year and last year, a hundred percent, uh, they need to get rid of the Roval. Uh, we'll see because they're bringing back the stage breaks for the Roval. So we'll see how, if the race is any better. And I believe they changed the restart zone. So should be, should be better, but we'll see. Um, and then we get to the intermediate package, intermediate package. Awesome. Intermediate package is awesome. Once again, it was awesome last year. It's awesome this year. Uh, Kansas, which was long looked at as being in danger of losing uh, a date on the schedule or losing losing its races and all that stuff, has been awesome both times this year. Um, the, you know, uh, Charlotte was awesome. The Coke 600 was awesome. Um, these these inter- Darlington, the Darlington races have been awesome. Uh it's just it, there's no other way to put it. Arling, uh, the or sorry, the intermediate package has been awesome, 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 awesome. Um, they they have nailed that. So now we need to get that short track package. If we can get that short track package up to that level, we're looking at some really great. You know, you're not going to be groaning when you look at the schedule. Really, you know, let's get that let's get that short package uh, up to par. Um, let's see. Uh, I, of course, am going to Texas this Sunday, though, and Texas historically has been a just terrible track for its entire existence. It's not good. The racing is bad. Uh, I was at the All-Star race last year, which was called one of the worst races, if not the worst race in the history of NASCAR. I was there last year. Uh, I went to the points race in 2021 and the All-Star race in 2021 as well. Um, I think I went in 20... I think I didn't go in 19 or 20, but I, I went in 18. And I think I was there in 17, 16, 15, 14, a lot. Let's put it that way. Racing's never been good there. Uh, and, and I went to some of the very early races when it first opened, uh, 97. Um, and some of those ones in the 2000s, the racing has just never been good. It's always been bad, no matter what car and who was on the track. Um, I have very little faith that it will be good. Um, on Sunday, I'm going for the experience and the tickets were free. Shout out to the NASCAR rewards, fan rewards, uh, on the app. Make sure you download the NASCAR fan rewards app, uh, or just the NASCAR app and sign up for a fan rewards account. Check in, uh, on the scoreboard during the craftsman truck series, during the Xfinity series race and during the cup series race, you'll get 50 points. Every time you check in, you can play uh, trivia for additional bonus points every week, as well as the uh, fantasy every week to get additional bonus points, rack up your points, and you get all sorts of, this is not an ad at all, by the way, hashtag not an ad. Uh, 
you can get all sorts of rewards. They got, you know, NASCAR licensed merchandise that's just like, you know, NASCAR logo hat and seat cushion and cups and stuff like that. But uh, you can also get uh, rewards. You can, you can get, um, sorry, you can get autograph merchandise from uh, drivers, hats and things like that. You can get um, straight up uh, gift cards to the NASCAR shop. gift cards. They really don't take that many points to acquire as long as you're just kind of on it every week. It's a great, you really need to be doing it uh, to get some free stuff. And of course, if you reach 6,000 points, uh, you can get free tickets. And so we got free ticket, two free tickets for 6,000 points to Sunday's race. Going to go with my brother. So um, uh, that's awesome. We're going to be able to go without spending a dime if we didn't want to. So, you know, probably buy some food and merchandise from the trailers, but uh, wouldn't have to if we didn't want to. Free ticket, uh, two free tickets, free to park. Um, gonna be gonna be awesome uh, just to experience hearing those engines rumble and smelling that gasoline and that burning rubber. So uh, I don't have any faith that the race will be any good, though. So we'll see. <laughs> Texas itself is looking at changing the track. In it's a rare, this, Texas is, a, is the rare case of where the track indeed just sucks. Track's bad. So, uh, that needs, something needs to be done with it. Um, yeah. 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 So that's kind of where we're at with the, with all the package stuff and my impressions of watching some races this year, good races, bad races, um, to quickly go over the standings here, uh, currently after the first round of the playoffs is over, William Byron, uh, is leading in, uh, the driver standings at the moment. Um, or hold on, let's see. I have to see the playoff standings. Sorry, that was the Cup Series standing, the overall standings. Things are stupid. Um, oh, no, those were correct. Anyway, okay. William Byron is leading. Martin Truex Jr. in second place. Denny Hamlin in third place. Kyle Larson in fourth place. Chris Buescher in fifth place. Kyle Busch, look at Chris Buescher, fifth place in the points right now. Kyle Busch in sixth place. Christopher Bell in seventh. Tyler Reddick in eighth. Ross Chastain in ninth, Brad Keselowski in 10th, Ryan Blaney in 11th, and Bubba Wallace in 12th. Um, so the elimination race is the Roval on October 9th. Uh, that will be the elimination race. Um, and will the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th place drivers will be eliminated and we'll be left with eight after that. Uh, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Michael McDowell were eliminated in the first round. That was not entirely surprising for Michael McDowell or Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Just not driving the kind of equipment that can really get them that out of that deep in the hole. Um, Kevin Harvick uh, exiting, but not really that surprising because Stuart Haas is really, there's no other way to say it. Stuart Haas uh, with the next-gen car so far has been bad. They just haven't been a top-tier team like they were 10 years ago. Uh, they have not been... Not been good. Uh, Joey Logano eliminated after getting caught up in a wreck there at Bristol. He was on the bubble. It was basically going to come down to, at Bristol, it was basically going to be, who is going to go out? Is it going to be Joey, Harvick, or Bubba? Who is, who is, or who's going to make it from those three? Because Stenhouse and McDowell were not going to make it. Um, I mean, obviously they had a mathematical chance to, but it wasn't going to happen. Uh, I was going to be who was going to uh, who was going to be on the outside looking in, who was going to move on, and uh, Joey and Harvick uh, on the outside looking in, Bubba hanging on by the skin of his teeth, 
he has got a heck of an uphill grind uh, coming here uh, in this next round, uh, especially because there is a road course in this round, and he is notoriously bad at road courses. So we'll see how that uh, how that all shakes out, though. Um, and uh, it starts here with Texas. It starts here with Texas, then to Talladega uh, next week, and the road course at Charlotte for um, Sunday, October eighth, two p.m. Um, for uh, for the elimination. So uh, that's how the standings are, and um, you know my my bet. Um, if I had to go with my gut right now on winning the championship, as much as I kind of hate it because he's turned heel, money's on Hamlin. He just seems strong at every track every week. Uh, that that team is firing on all cylinders. Uh, so my pick is Hamlin, but my second place, not so far behind, uh, my second choice at the championship would be Larson because you just can never bet against that dude. He's just too good. Uh, and he just, uh, he can, you know, he's got that talent to take a car that was maybe a fifth place car that week and win with it or take a 10th place car and finish fourth. You know, he's, he's got that kind of talent. So, uh, he is, he is my second pick, you know, after this coming week, I could, I could leap, leapfrog Larson over Hamlin. You know, this this week maybe uh, maybe Larson goes out and wins or something and looks real good. And I say that you know next week I say Larson is my championship favorite, but they're that they're that close to me personally. That's where I think they're at. Uh, although definitely that they're third and fourth in the points uh, in this round. However, Byron and Truex are one and two in this round. But um, you know, I think Truex. Um, I think my opinion could change based on his performance in this round. Uh, if Truex performs very strong in this round, looks better than his peers around him, I could give it to him because they've looked pretty strong all year too. Um, and um, Byron, I'd have to, I'd have to see the, I'd have to see something out of him because he's he had a strong regular season and has looked good at, at some spots, but like I, I don't know, I I see those other guys ahead of him, so that's just kind of where I'm at there. So anyway, that's going to conclude our NASCAR discussion, and that is going to conclude. Um, this episode of the Victory Cigar Podcast. Um, we're going to be try to be back. I swear, I'll try to get these episodes out. We'll try to be back next week. Uh, but uh, that's going to do it for me right now. Don't forget to follow the Victory Cigar on Twitter at Victory Cigar Pod. Uh, sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter, x.com slash Victory Cigar Pod. Um, and, uh, you know, keep an eye on that for when we upload new episodes and uh, have things to talk about over there. And, um, you know, be sure to just tune in when you see that pop up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify that we've uploaded a new episode. So I appreciate everybody who's made it to this part of the podcast so far and has listened to it. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to let me know on Twitter or elsewhere um, what you think of my opinions on every episode. So thank you guys for listening. I'll see you next time.